Hi, welcome to Lighthouse Vineyard Church. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to know more about us, feel free to visit us online at lighthousevineyard.church. Enjoy the message. Hello, everyone. My name is Clint Schwartz. I'm the lead pastor here. Thanks for being here today. Did you guys see all the leaves in our yard out there? We conveniently scheduled the fall cleanup a couple weeks later this year in hopes that they blow across the street so we don't have as much to do. No, it's just kind of the way it worked in our calendar this year. So um, we have a lot of leaves. So hopefully you guys will, will come join us in uh, two weeks to help us do that. Okay, question for you. Do I have any fans in here today of the English royal family? Any, any fans like... There's like two. Okay, this is going to be fun. All right. <laughs> Rose and I um, got to know them a little bit. Recently, we watched a uh, documentary on the royal family, and so it was really interesting to get to know them a little bit more. But I do know there are some people who really follow the royals, right? There are some of those, and maybe you were ashamed to raise your hand, but here's our, our little test we're going to do. You have to call out if you know these people, all right, if you know them by name. So who is this first couple? I, what I heard was, that's what I heard. So <laughs> Prince Harry, yes, and Meghan Markle. There we go. Yep. How about this next couple? Kate and William. So we got Prince William and Kate Middleton. Now I'm guessing you guys might know this next person. Diana, Princess Diana. Do you guys know that she died in 1997? So that's how long it's been. It's been quite a while. And then the next royal, Queen Elizabeth II. See, some of you are fans. Now, she died just, just uh, last, oh, actually in September. Um, how about this next person? I hear the Camilla. If you wonder why people said it like that, you need to watch the documentary, then you'll understand. Queen Consort Camilla, all right? And then the last one here, King Charles III. He's currently the king of Great Britain. But even though he is a king, he actually doesn't have much authority. Doesn't have much authority. I, I found this recent article in USA Today, and it says this. So what sort of power does a king or queen have in 2022? While the pomp and circumstance that are still associated with the monarchy remain impressive, from imposing palaces to shiny crowns, the reality is the role is largely ceremonial, experts say. King Charles III, much like his mum before him, does not rule, he reigns. The key difference, he cannot issue decrees, or anything that remotely resembles an edict. Rather, he is seen as a figurehead whose behavior reflects suitable decorum and grace. So King Charles reigns as king, but he doesn't actually rule. And for most of us, this is really kind of our mindset or our understanding of what a king or a queen does is the, the royals over in England. So if you want to have a better example, better understanding of a king or a kingdom, we have to look back in our history books. So this is an image of Alexander the Great 
Alexander the Great was born in 356 BC. He became king of Macedonia at 20 years old after his father was assassinated. And over 15 years of conquest, Alexander never lost a battle. When he died in Babylon at 32 years old, he ruled a territory spanning three continents, covered nearly two million square miles. Here's an image of what that looked like. So you have India over here, Arabia, um, you know, you got Greece up there, just that huge, huge area that he conquered and took over. So when he died, he was the king of Macedonia, he was the ruler of the Greeks, he was the king of Persia, and he was even the Egyptian pharaoh. So Alexander the Great was an example of somebody who ruled and reigned. Now, if you look at uh, Jesus and the, the New Testament, and you look at who was reigning during that time, it was the Romans, right? And they were led by the Roman emperor Tiberius Julius Caesar Augustus. He was the adopted son of Caesar Augustus. And he actually ruled and reigned a large area as well. This is a map of that area. So included over here, uh, Israel, but that was just a small part of the whole area that was ruled by Caesar Augustus, Tiberius. So he was an example of someone who ruled and reigned. And so in Scripture, especially when we look at the New Testament, and we hear Jesus say things like the kingdom of God is at hand. He, when he talks about a kingdom, it's not the kind of kingdom we think about over in England today. I mean, it was a kingdom that was ruled and reigned by a king or an emperor, okay? So keep that in mind as we move into today's message. So our series that we're in right now, our message series, is titled, Teach Us to Pray. It is based off of the, the Lord's Prayer, and our key scripture comes from Luke chapter 11, verse 1, that says, One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. So in response to that request by his disciples, Jesus quoted what we know today is as the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer was not necessarily a prayer that was supposed to be just prayed by itself. It can be. But it was really a model for us on how to pray more than what it was to pray. So we have started uh, walking through, line by line, through the Lord's Prayer. And last week, we started off the message and we went through our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, the first line of the Lord's Prayer. And we shared four attributes of prayer from that section of Scripture. The Lord's Prayer shows us that our prayers should be directed vertical. That was the first point, that we should not be praying to impress people around us. We should be praying and having a conversation with God and God alone. Second point was that we should get to the point. Jesus actually said we should not babble like the pagans who think because of their many words they will be heard by God. So Jesus said that God already knows what we're going to pray. So just, just pray. Get to the point. You know. Um, third thing he said was to relate to God as our Father. He says our Father who is in heaven. And that was a new thing at that time in the Jewish faith is to consider 
God, when we pray to God as our heavenly Father, as someone who watches out for us, protects us, provides for us. And lastly, our last point was to acknowledge God's sovereignty. So even though we look to God as our Father, we need to acknowledge that he is King of kings and Lord of lords, the great I am, the creator of everything. And so that's who we're praying to. Our Father, who is God Almighty. And that was our our first part of the series. And if you missed that, I would encourage you to go back and watch the message off of our website. So today, we're going to read the next line in the Lord's Prayer. You can turn to Matthew chapter 6. We'll also have it up on the screen. And we're going to read the next section of the Lord's Prayer, starting with verse 9. It says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Then verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. So today's message is just simply titled, Your Kingdom Come. And we're going to talk about God's kingdom and what it means to pray, God, your kingdom come to earth. So I have some points for you to fill in, but first let me pray. God, I pray that you would help me to convey your heart today. And Lord, I pray that you would increase our faith. And Lord, I just hear the word tenacity. I pray that we would increase our tenacity to pray and pray and pray and pray and to not give up. In our pre-service prayer today, someone remembered the scripture was spoken to them this week that let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And so some of us need to hear today that we should not give up on our prayers. Just continue to pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can fill these in on your handout if you would like. Jesus taught that our prayers should, number one, declare God's rule and reign. I just love that part. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God is a king who reigns and rules over a kingdom. His kingdom happens to be in heaven today. Right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So he's declaring, Jesus is declaring that God is a king in charge of a kingdom, but that kingdom is in heaven today. Now here on earth, there is another kingdom and there is a ruler of the world and his name is Satan, the devil, the serpent, Lucifer, the deceiver. That is is the person or the entity that is in charge of this world today. Now, when Jesus came, he came into a world that was completely run by the devil. But when he died on the cross and rose from the dead, he broke the reign, the rule and reign of the devil. 1 John I'm sorry, John 12, verse 31 says this. This was Jesus talking about his death and resurrection. He said, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of the world will be driven out. 
So he was declaring that there was, when Jesus came, when, when he died and rose again, that there was judgment on the world and that the prince of this world would be driven out, the devil. That was part of why Jesus came, was to break the rule and reign of the devil. Now, Jesus went back up into heaven, and he sent us the Holy Spirit. So even though the rule and reign of the devil was broken that day, he is still here, right? War was declared, victory was declared, but the devil hasn't left. He's still here trying to exert his authority on us and in this place, even though his authority has been broken. See, Jesus sent us the promised Holy Spirit. And in 1 John 4, 4, it says, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you, the Holy Spirit, is greater than the one who is in the world, the devil and all of his demons. So we have the authority in this place to rule and reign as children of God. So when Jesus is telling us to pray, your kingdom come, he is saying, pray that God's kingdom will come on earth today. That we will see God's kingdom ruling and reigning on earth today. Now, one day, Jesus is going to return and he's going to complete what he started on the cross. He is going to completely take over this planet. He is going to completely kick the devil out. But we live today in this tension between the two. In Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, it says, this is a prophecy about the, the last days. It says, The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his, of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. So in the last days, at the last trumpet, that's when God completely takes over the world. So he, he broke the, the rule and reign of the devil on the cross and through the resurrection, and he completes it over here on the other side when he returns the second time. We happen to live between the two. We live in this tension between them. Now, what does it look like when God returns and, and reigns? Well, that's prophesied as well in Revelation chapter 21. I want to read this because it gives us an image of what is yet to come. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. So one day, when God returns, and he actually brings heaven, the rule of heaven, to earth, that's what it's going to look like. God is going to dwell with us again. Now, when was the last time that God really walked among men? In the Garden of Eden, right? Before sin. That was when God was walking with 
Adam and Eve and dwelling with them on a daily basis, that's going to come again. And when that happens, there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. Right? That day, no more sickness. That day is coming, but it hasn't happened yet. When Jesus was here on earth, he spoke many times, and he says, the kingdom of heaven is near, or the kingdom of heaven is here, right? He says that throughout scripture. And what he was doing is, was he was declaring that the rule and reign of God in heaven is happening here on earth today. And in that moment, he healed the sick, right? He raised the dead. The lost were found. The broken were restored. It happened when Jesus was here. He was bringing the kingdom of God to earth. And so Jesus is telling us, make that part of your prayer. Pray that the kingdom of God, the way things happen on, in heaven, would happen here on earth today. So this isn't heaven, right? I mean, one day, there will be no sickness, no more pain, no more sorrow. But it's, Jesus has already come and won the battle. So we, we live today in this tension, and in the vineyard movement, we call it the already but not yet. The kingdom of heaven is already here, but it's not yet here. You see that? It's this tension of, we, we can believe that things are going to happen here on earth like they do in heaven, but at the same time, we have to accept the fact that this isn't heaven yet. It's not going to work exactly like it does in heaven. There's a professor from Westminster Theological Seminary named David Briones who says it this way. For now, Christians live in a great theological tension. We already possess every spiritual blessing in Christ, but we do not experience the fullness of those blessings yet. In one sense, we are already adopted, redeemed, sanctified, and saved. In another, these experiences are not yet fully ours. Underneath this theological and practical tension are the two comings of Christ. In his first coming, he inaugurated the last days. In his second coming, he will complete them. In the meantime, we live for now in the overlap of the ages. I love that. It's just the idea that Jesus came to start the victory and to win the victory, but it's not fully won until he comes the second time and drives the devil off this planet. And we live in the already, but not yet. So that's why we, we pray for the sick to be healed. We pray for the lost to be found. We pray for the broken to be restored. But we, are, we acknowledge that sometimes that's going to happen. And sometimes it's not. But Jesus is telling us, ask for, pray for the kingdom of heaven to break through down to earth and that the rule and reign of God would happen around us in our, in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our community, the same way that it does in heaven today. One of the 
practical ways you can see that is uh, praying for people to be healed, right? I mean, how many of you in this room have been prayed for and have actually experienced healing? Just raise your hand. Supernatural healing, all right? And how many of you have been prayed for and have not experienced supernatural healing? Right? It's the already, but not yet. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. One day, there will be no more sickness. One day. And the nice thing is that we are after the the cross and resurrection. So sometimes it will happen today. We can actually see it happen. John Wimber, uh, he was a pastor who is known as the father of the Vineyard Movement. The Vineyard Movement has about 500 churches in the U.S., um, and there's about 2,000 worldwide. Started back in the 60s, 70s, uh, through the, the hippie movement out in California. That's where the Vineyard Movement comes from. And John Wimber was a musician. He played the saxophone for the band. You might have heard of them, the Righteous Brothers, back in the day. So he was all about drug, sex, and rock and roll. That's what he was about. And then the Lord got a hold of his heart through that, that hippie movement, and he got saved. And so he started reading scripture, and he, he went up to his pastor, and he says, when do we get to do the stuff? And the pastor's like, what, what stuff are you talking about? Well, the stuff, the stuff that's in the Bible. I read it. It says, says that people, you know, demons were, were cast out and, and people were raised from the dead and, and people were healed. When do we get to do that stuff? The pastor didn't know how to answer him, right? Because that stuff wasn't happening back in the 60s and 70s, not very much out in California. And so anyways, John Wimber began to grow in his faith. He ended up becoming a pastor and took over a church which is now known as the Anaheim Vineyard Church. And uh, he, he went back to this, doing this stuff, and he started preaching about healing. Because he's like, I think it can happen. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start preaching about healing and what Scripture says about it. So we're going to read what happened. This is from the book, The Quest for the Radical Middle, which is kind of a historical dialogue of the Vineyard Movement. It says this, the next Sunday, John gave an altar call to pray for the sick. It was humiliating. The people doing the praying caught the illnesses of those they were praying for, <laughs> even their headaches. John didn't want to do another one, but God told him to do it again and again. And not one person was healed, not one. For the next six months, almost every sermon John preached was on healing. People began to leave the church. Six months, preaching and praying for healing, and nothing happened. John was living in the not yet part of the statement, right? He wanted to see the miracles. Well, one day, he got a phone call from one of the guys at his church, and he said, hey, I'm starting a new job today, and uh, we got up this morning, and my wife is sick. She's got the flu She's really bad off, can't get out of bed, and somebody's got to take care of our kids. So would you come over here and pray that she gets healed? And John's like, okay. And he's driving over, and he's having a conversation with God, and he's like, Lord, this guy really believes this stuff. What am I supposed to do? I guess he's either going to lose his job, or I'm going to take care of the kids today. So he, he shows up at the guy's house. This is what it says. He said, when he arrived... 
He was ushered into the bedroom. He prayed a faithless prayer, then turned around to explain to the husband why God doesn't always heal. As he rambled on, he noticed the man looking behind him. John turned to find that the wife was out of bed and combing her hair. She was completely well. He couldn't believe it. As he stumbled out of the door, jubilation suddenly filled him and he shouted, we got one. (laughs) We got one. And John continued to pray for healing and he continued to teach others to pray for healing. And he started seeing dozens and then hundreds and then thousands of people have been healed, supernaturally, physically healed through the praying ministry of John Wimber and the Vineyard Movement. Now, did everyone get healed that he prayed for? No, not everyone did. But this is what he was quoted as saying. He said, I'd rather lay hands on 100 people and have only one healed than to lay hands on nobody and have nobody healed. That's someone who believed in the already but not yet. Now, I've prayed for a lot of people to be healed. And I remember um, dozens of people that I prayed for when I started praying for healing uh, did not get healed, did not feel God, did not experience anything. And I just kept praying. I was experiencing the not yet. And then over time, I've, I've learned to actually expect God to move. And you know, if, if you give somebody, you know, some medicine to, to heal them, what do you do? You ask them, do you feel better, right? That's what we need to do when we pray for healing too, because we're expecting God to do something. And so as I have learned and taken the time to ask and say, how are you feeling? And then to pray again, I have begun to see God supernaturally move again and again and again. We saw some of that even today in uh, first service and, and, and last week as well. So God wants to break in the kingdom of heaven, wants to break into the kingdom of this world, and so we have to pray for it. And then recognize that the kingdom of heaven is already here, but it's not, not yet here. Here's your fill-in. If we want to see God's kingdom come, it will take bold steps and risky prayers. Bold steps and risky prayers. And when we do that, we begin to see the kingdom of heaven break through. So Jesus taught that our prayers should declare God's rule and reign. And secondly, our prayers should submit to God's will. Submit to God's will. Matthew 6.10 says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're submitting our requests and what we want to his will. This past week, Rose and I had our two grandnieces over Paisley and Bristol and we got to spend a couple hours with them. Rose was doing bracelets with them. And it was over dinner. And so Rose made some uh, chicken and noodles for the girls. And our one little niece, Bristol, she did not want to eat her noodles. You know, she just didn't want to eat them. 
And so we're like, what, what do you want? She says, I want potato chips. <laughs> like, no, you have, to, you have to eat your noodles. Because we know that, you know, chicken and noodles is healthier than potato chips, right? And we also knew that if she had chips, she was going to be hungry again later, right? It's just going to burn right off. And so we knew what was best for her. And so we made her eat chicken and noodles. And then she ate a bag of chips because we're pop-up banana. So that's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> she was so cute, too. So she had a pile of chips, and she put them on the table, and, and then she just licked them off the table. It was, <laughs> it was a proud moment. It's a proud moment. Um, but when it comes to God, let me just say this the way it is. God is the adult, and we are the children. Right? In the same way that Bristol could not comprehend why chips wasn't the preferred evening meal, we look the same way. We, we don't understand. We don't have the ability to understand why God doesn't answer every prayer and he doesn't answer it the way we want him to do it. And we don't get everything that we want. We can't appreciate that because we don't have the ability to understand it. He is the adult. He sees the big picture. So we need to submit to his will. Everything and anything, and just say, God, this is what I want, but I submit it to you. I submit it to you because you know more. You're in charge. You got the big picture in mind. Even Jesus had to do that. Jesus is the son of God. He submits to God the Father. And the last night before he was crucified, he was in anguish because he knew what was going to happen that later that night. He knew what was going to happen the next day. It had been prophesied, and he just knew that he was going to get beaten, and he was going to get whipped, and he was going to be crucified on a cross, and he didn't want to go through it. And so that night, he was praying to God. In Luke chapter 22, it records that he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus was praying, Lord, if there's any other way to save this, these people other than me, dying on the cross, please, Lord, let it be. But then he submitted his will to God. He says, not my will, but yours be done. And, and I will tell you, I am, I am so glad today that Jesus' prayer wasn't answered the way that he prayed it. Because if Jesus hadn't died on that cross, we would still be in need of a Savior. Our, we would still be guilty of every sinful act we've already done. But because... God knew what was best, maybe not best for Jesus at the moment, but what was best for all of us. He allowed Jesus to die like that. And if Jesus, the Son of God, can submit to God's will, then we should too. In our prayers. Your kingdom come, but your will be done. Your will, not mine on earth as it is in heaven.
Now, Scripture records that God didn't leave Jesus to suffer alone. He sent an angel to, to comfort him, to take care of him, to give him the strength that he needed to endure the cross. That's what Jesus will do for us too. His will is not always easy. This is your filling. God's will won't often be easy, but it will always be better. And we can trust. We can trust that God will help us and he will carry us through and he will be with us and comfort us through those difficult times that we have to go through. So Jesus taught that our prayers should declare God. Well, that's it for today's message. We hope we helped you know God more intimately. If you feel our ministry is helping you spiritually, feel free to find out more about us at lighthouseofinner.church. Thank you for being part of our family, and we will see you next time.